What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Checkpoint Amigos. It's your boy, Sancho West, alongside Santi. How are you doing today? It's episode four, Santi. It is episode four, and any other duo would have accidentally messed up this week. Would have not <laughs> had an episode. This is going up last minute, folks, because Sancho's moving halfway across the universe, it seems. Uh, I have man, it feels like I literally made the trek across from California to Texas. It's a whole new background. I haven't had all the sound panels yet, but it's going to be a little echoey here. But thank you so much for the support on the Checkpoint Amigos. And again, we are live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific. 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern. What are the time zones we could cover? I don't know what says GMT. It could be. I don't know if you're in Europe, know. one of those fake time zones. Yeah, one of those ones that don't exist. Granted, you <laughs> you were a civilization before us in the States and Canada. But I digress. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And we appreciate the love on all socials, especially the TikTok love. Of course, we are continuing to grow the foundation of the Checkpoint Amigos and as always, we always begin with every show. Santi, what are you playing lately? So I finally decided to play the story mode of WWE 2K23. Yeah. I've been holding that off for a very long time. It is the cheesiest, <laughs> most entertaining, terrible storylines I've ever witnessed that make it so realistic because it is so true to professional wrestling. So I'm still on those. I believe I was still playing those last week. Um, I dove a little bit into Diablo 4 this week. I've been holding off on Diablo 4 for the longest time, um, primarily because whenever I, like I bought this months yeah. ago, Sancho, but every time I try to log in, oh, you have to, you're in a queue for three and a half hours. Like, what it's is a that? single player game. Why am I in a queue? I don't know. This is, dude, this is, this is, remember back in 2013, the big hoopla of always online? This is, this is it. This is the, the dystopian future that we were, that we were all fearing. That I'm waiting on a queue to play a single player game. Anyways, I finally got in and, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying Diablo 4 so far. You know, there's another entirely different podcast that we can do here, but. How long did you take on the custom selection, customizing your character? Because I've seen you do WWE. You you take a good chunk of time there. Yeah, it depends. Like WWE, if I here's the thing: if I know I'm appearing in cutscenes, I'm making myself look amazing, either like grotesquely ridiculous or like super handsome, like me. Ooh. Right? I'm actually gonna take. Time. But if I know that it's a game with like helmets, right? Gear, I'm mm. the default character. I don't care because mm. it, you're, I'm never going to see you. I'm never going to see what you look like. Um, but if I like, right, right, like if you can appear in a cutscene, I think Mass Effect is a great example. I'll make my, I'll spend the time to make myself look exactly the way that I want. Do you ever see yourself playing Baldur's Gate 3? I do see myself playing Baldur's Gate 3. I just, uh, I think there's a, there's just too much crossover with a game like Diablo 4. Yeah. So I, I don't want to have both of those games cooking at the same time. So I'm going to, I'm going to give Diablo my fair piece because Diablo 3, I put in over 600 hours across all different platforms. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an addiction Diablo. Once you get into it, like you're in there. Do you ever feel like when you look at those numbers, you're like, man. That's a lot of time on earth that I spent playing this game. I, I, I could have I learned an instrument. I could have done something that would be valuable to our society's culture. And instead, you know, I'm working on my different paragons for my uh, for, for my witch doctor in Diablo 3. I could have built an entire civilization in this time. <laughs> um, no, that's awesome. Uh, how's the prestige Call of Duty? Is that on pause for a bit while you're trekking down it's Diablo? 
it's on pause and i think uh to be a responsible gamer and be a responsible gaming podcaster i have to now put that aside so that i can make time for all of the games that are going to start coming out you know we've got starfield coming out very very soon uh i'm a madden guy so i'll be i'll Me be too. cooking some madden as well uh so i i need to respectfully put that aside for now and leave that for a rainy day so that i can play everything else uh that's coming out here because we're gonna be overwhelmed very soon i guess my last question on what are you playing is as a canadian mm -hmm. who do you play with in madden oh okay so Every Canadian will say either the Buffalo Bills or the Detroit Lions. Okay, okay? I've got a bit of a different story, okay? Interesting. Um, when I was getting into football in the early 2000s, I was looking for a team to root for. At the time, the Bills sucked and the Lions sucked. I'm like, I don't want to root for a bad team. This is stupid. It's stupid. Uh, so I ended up picking the San Diego Chargers oh, because yeah, they sounded the closest to my name. Your San desktop. Diego, Santiago. Yeah. Here I am, even the though they're in Los Angeles now, 20 plus years later, a diehard Chargers fan. So that means you play with them on Madden, the San Diego Chargers. Yeah, that, that's the the team that I play. Okay. Justin Herbert, greatest quarterback of yep. all time. I refuse we'll to hear anything down. else. If I see any 27 and 0 comments in this video, I will delete them. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. That's interesting. Well, so when it comes to me, what I've been playing, uh, I actually, you know, besides the move and things of that sort, I have been really getting into a different battle royale, which leads to my topic. It's called Far Light 84, and it's a very interesting one. It is a mobile game that is, is available on uh, PC, and it is like $10, but it, it's one of those ones that started off as a mobile game, eventually came to PC. Um, it is really, really interesting, Santi, because it is as if... It cross-pollinated with all the major battle royales. It has a Fortnite vibe to it. It has the Apex Legends vibe to it, mixed with PUBG. Mm. All that combined with an Overwatch kind of tint on top of it, it creates this very fun, relaxing battle royale that every, it's a hero battle royale shooter and they all have uh, attributes and things of that sort. And what I like about it the most, Santi, is what's the vibe surrounding it. I feel that battle royales in general have an issue where people are now playing, I think an issue in gaming in general, but mainly in battle royales and multiplayer, where people are playing the game for money reasons, financial reasons. They want to be the best so they can make the best content and or be a, a good streamer. But with this game, it really has that feeling that people just want to be good at it because they love playing it. And I really do enjoy that. It has a very sophisticated ranking system. And if anyone who's ever played Battle Royales, which we'll get into in the topic later, I highly recommend Farlight 84 just to get into it. I mean, I'm sorry. It's not $10. It's actually free to play. What am I tripping about? Free to play. Can't go wrong. Now, you, you say that it's got the, you know, the feeling of like people are playing it for the sake of actually like enjoying it and being better as opposed to yep. trying to make money to make content. Yep. I remember because I, I was very deeply into Fortnite when it first came out. And that was the vibes that I had about yep. the first few year or so of Fortnite where I was playing it because one, my friends were playing the thing. It was the, it, it became the night social space this that's yeah. where all the gossip and all the talking happened between me and all my friends uh and there was no i guess i guess like no ulter ulterior motive yeah. of creating content making videos or anything like that so you're thinking right now at where this game is at at the moment you think it's at like at that stage 100 i i i highly recommend it it's my stamp of approval and anytime that anyone sees it they it's easy on the eyes in terms of just like following the action at the same time like i said it brings back those feelings of just like uh when i was playing with my friends 
You're just literally just gaming. Now, granted, I know it's uh, calling the kettle black because I'm a content creator and I do make content off of that, but I don't feel the pressure to upload Farlight 84 content. I don't feel like, oh, I need to upload this because it needs, it will get views or followers. It's just simply because it was a really cool moment that I want to share. So highly recommend Farlight 84, but Santi, are you down for a quick news roundup? Real quick. Yeah. Yeah. I, Let's I talk. I don't have any kind of like bam, bam, down, down. Quake. Yeah. Quake, yeah. Quake 2 Remastered is coming and it's for $10. How about that? Oh. Quake wow. 2 Remastered. Not bad. That's a great price for a remaster. That is I think. a very good price Fair. considering Fair. Uh, Quake 2. I think Quake 2, if you, if you, if there was a list somewhere of the most pirated games of all time, that like has to be on there. Right. Because I think every, every floppy disk, every hard drive that's ever been swapped between friends has had a copy of Quake 2 or Doom. Exactly. And I absolutely, one of the, like, it's a, it's the granddaddy of multiplayers. Speaking from fair prices to not so fair, we have confirmed, they have confirmed that Red Dead 1 will be a port to the Nintendo Switch and the PlayStation 4, which will have backwards compatibility for PlayStation 5. It's auntie. When you want to guess the price for this Red Dead Redemption 1 port? I mean, I'm assuming it's full price. I'm guessing this is a $70 game. $50. $50 that's, game. That, I still think that's overpriced. Yep. Absolutely. I still think that's overpriced. Like if if they're if all they're doing is doing a direct port, direct port with with no new voice acting, no new, I mean, like not a new engine. Like if we're really just doing a new port, a port with uprest graphics, an uprest resolution, that's not fifty dollars. Okay. That's that's what it is, man. Fifty bucks, and which has been something we've been talking about throughout the checkpoint amigos here is fairness and remakes, and looks like Nintendo. And Red Dead Redemption, in terms of the people at Take Two, are dipping into our pockets already. Also, did you see that happen to see the t t teaser for Modern Warfare Three? You see that? Little... I, I did, I did, but I'm always I, look unless I see gameplay. These teasers for Call of Duties, mm -hmm. like they mean nothing to me. As a Call of Duty jarhead myself, like I've I've learned to not care about these teases. I've learned to not put my money to pre-order because of these teases. So um, it didn't it didn't do anything for me. What's interesting though, the good news is, as you know, we talked about companies dipping into our pockets, is that they did say items will transfer over from Modern Warfare Two to Modern Warfare Three. It won't matter though, because uh, when it when it comes to multiplayer, there's going to be a meta. I mean, you know, right? Like you're a Fortnite guy. Like all of those items are going to become irrelevant if you want to take the game seriously and be a competitive player. It's all about the new items. If you aren't getting the new items, you're going to be nerfed, basically. And what's always interesting though is that they always, always make the new weapons the best. <laughs> yeah, and I don't blame them. No, like, it's right? smart. If, you, if you're yeah, it's a hundred percent smart. Like if you're trying to get people to to make that transition, to buy the battle pass, to buy cases, whatever it is that they might want you to do to get your money, you're gonna nerf everything from the previous game and make everything from the existing. It's just it's this never ending Dragon Ball Z power scaling where if the the. The next arc that you go on, okay, all right, Frieza, strongest in the universe. <laughs> Just kidding. Now you have Cell to deal with, who somehow is a thousand times more strong than Frieza. Like it, that's it's this never-ending arms race. That's why I always enjoy Piccolo, dude. That dude, no matter what, stayed the same power level. 
but I always gave a good fight. That was my always competitive. Always competitive. All right, so that's your quick news roundup of things that that we feel that are a little bit important. But we're gonna get into topic number one, and we already touched on it just a little bit, and was regarding Battle Royales, which is in my wheelhouse. But the topic I want to present that we'll continually talk about Battle Royales because I feel that in general, Battle Royales are getting a negative rap. And people don't like the word battle royale. Anytime in any conversation someone mentions, hey, this could use a battle royale, immediately met with backlash. I think it though is currently, I mean, it, it is not without reason, of course. I think that when the battle royale rush happened way back then, there was a slew of developers attempting to capture that battle royale magic. There still is a bunch of people trying to capture that battle royale magic, considering it is one of the most profitable genres of today we always continuously talk about santi the big three apex legends fortnite and warzone holding down the mantle but what i want to talk about is there is i think that there is rooms for battle royale for now and then and forever simply because it is just a progression i feel of what team deathmatch can be and it also it's a progression of what the audience members in terms of people who watch live streams and content they love to absorb it because Every battle royale game is its own story, and every battle royale kind of match has a natural or organic flow of rising action and climax and all those kinds of things. But the, I, I really do feel that people will forever have this thing about it, and it kind of reminds me back of the days when single player games had multiplayer games, and everyone would just rag on the multiplayer games with fair reason again because you know the assets weren't that great and things of that sort. But I really feel that th this monster of a battle royale that has festered throughout these past five or six years has created a weird space in gaming and a sense of uh, like we always want to I always want to talk about of creating that things of games as a live service. But I think it's a different kind of games as a live service, because if you are a gamer, you naturally have some pride in you. There's a little bit of hubris in you. You don't want to go into a situation and lose so if you stop playing said Battle Royale, you're going to end up losing. So that's what's interesting to me is Battle Royale tends to hog all of your attention because it's just naturally you want to play it. I know like yourself, you mentioned that you could just play it on a whim and have a good time. But there's something like for me, I just simply, it's hard for me to do that. It's hard for me to put that down. But I, I simply just wanted to bring this topic for you today in the Checkpoint Amigos. And if you could comment down below as well how you feel about Battle Royales. I just feel as someone who's a bat battle royale enthusiast uh, or advocate uh, or the wise man, uh, I feel that what ends up happening is people just give it a bad, bad rap. And as someone who's an outsider, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the genre. And do you feel that when you hear battle royale, you go, ooh, I, I don't know. I don't think this is good. Yeah. Before I give you like my thoughts on the genre, I want to point out something uh, that this is history repeating itself you know the famous quote if we don't learn from history we're doomed to repeat it mm -hmm. uh, if if you remember the era of like 2006 to 2010 what took off was deathmatch multiplayers like call of duty halo and it got to the point where developers started injecting deathmatch multiplayers into single player experiences and some did it really well uncharted i think was a really yep. good example but if you took up multiplayer from uncharted like it was still a 
full experience. And then some did it in unique ways where it didn't stick, which Bioshock 2 is a great example. And then some just did it and mostly did it very poorly. I think a good example of like the most interjected, unnecessary deathmatch multiplayer I've ever seen was God of War Ascension, if you remember that. I do. Just for some reason, having multiplayer. And I think we're repeating history here where... Um, Somebody found lightning in a bottle and now every organization, every developer is trying to cash in on that lightning in a bottle. Now, if we look at the deathmatch craze, the ones that ended up uh, rising to the top, the cream of the crop per se, were the ones that were unique. The, and, and I think a good example are the ones that, for example, went out of the norms and did hero shooters. Yes. Perhaps. Perhaps that's what needs to happen in the genre of um, of battle royales, where rather than just inserting battle royale into this property, like hey, like Halo, just a regular battle royale, maybe we need to find the unique aspect that makes this battle royale very, very Halo. Like Call of Duty did a great job of finding the battle royale that makes it very Call of Duty. And I think we're gonna go down the rabbit hole over the next five or so years where we're gonna see a bunch of super generic battle royales and we're gonna see some new ones that come with really unique ideas that are going to rise to the top because you can't just redo player unknowns battlegrounds anymore, mm. right? That was a moment in time if you weren't there for it, it's just not gonna be replicated. You can't redo Fortnite. No one will out Fortnite Fortnite, right? It's just not gonna happen. But then what came along? Actually, before I do that, there was a bunch of Fortnite clones. Realm Royale, I think was one of them, dead on arrival because it was just a Fortnite clone. It took uh, Respawn doing something unique mm -hmm. with, the, with, with, the, with the concept of Battle Royales to take off with Apex Legends. So I think that's what we need. I, we need developers to come up with these unique ideas, just like how developers had to come up with unique ideas for their traditional deathmatch multiplayer. Mm. Where do I stand on battle royales? I don't love them. I don't hate them. And I'm I'm kind of there. If a new battle royale game comes out and my friends are into it, I'm in. I'm in okay. for a night or two. But it's not going to. It's definitely not going to become my personality because I, I I know a lot of people where Fortnite is their personality and where Warzone is their personality. Um, but, uh, and I'm not against developers trying out um, battle royales within their ecosystem, within their IPs, but I'm, I think we're at the point where they need to get creative with them. I don't think you can just put, you can, I don't think you can just come out with the next Metroid game and then have it just be a regular battle royale with, with people in armored suits shooting each other. I think it's got there's got to be something unique. Okay, I see what you're saying. So, you know, I, I do agree with you. Unique battle royales do tend to last longer. What's interesting is what the battle royales you're mentioning are like the Mario 35, right? It's not a traditional, mm -hmm. you know, shooter type of battle royale experience, but it is Mario within the confines of the battle royale rule. Same thing with Tetris 99. It's the same kind of vibe. It is still pure Texas, uh, Tetris at the end of the day, but just with the caveat that you're competing with uh, lots of other players. And I do enjoy this, but the one thing that I would say is I feel that every genre and every property should explore battle royales because they could bring it in their own flavor and that will bring me into my top five when we do a little bit a little bit later but i really do feel 
that every property should explore it, just like how every property should explore multiplayers, because like uh, Assassin's Creed, you would never think would work as a multiplayer, but it actually really did really well. I think it was Brotherhood that had mm -hmm. the multiplayer. Uh, and I just feel like it's just something that you're going to miss out on. And if you don't capitalize it, the one thing I do enjoy about Battle Royales is that it feels like it's the very infancy still. And even though it's despite it being years old, for example, first person shooters, when they first hit the scenes, like we talked about Quake 2 a little bit earlier, every new first person shooter brought a new mechanic that pushed the genre forward to this entire refined experience. Every Battle Royale introduces a new res mechanic, a new map mechanic, a new attachment mechanic. Um, like I was mentioning, Farlight 84, you literally don't need to pick your attachments. You just run over the attachments. It automatically puts it on the weapon. You pick up another weapon that has the same kind of attachments and automatically shifts it over to the one. You don't have to drag and drop. So it's all fast paced. It's all fun. And it has different ways of engaging in the hero shooter. It has cooldowns. There's also a Project Loki that is League of Legends Battle Royale. And it works to, from what I've seen, it looks exciting. It looks fun. It breaks the, the mold of a three-lane map where you have responsibilities and one character could be there. Instead, you could be a roving group fighting together and to for fight for survival. I think when it boils down to Asante, it's the word that I love, and that's why we talked about earlier how only up is doing well. It's the word stakes. There is stakes involved in battle royales. And the moment you lose those stakes and people stop taking your game, not necessarily seriously or unseriously, it's just a matter of the elevated stakes of okay, there is X amount of players. This is the battle royale formula. There's X amount of players competing against me and the objective is to be the last one standing. And if you could just simplify that, add in that little bit of spice, like you mentioned, a little flavor, a flavor town, when it comes to that variety, you got yourself a hit. The sad thing, though, is, Santi, is that we've seen it, despite being of a kind of a, um, a variety or a new flavor, it is part of the most difficult field to get into, to make your own space. Not only because of the big three, they create so much... Um, different kind of avenues, and they change their game so many times. So what I'm thinking is Rumbleverse, right? Rumbleverse comes in. If you those that don't know, very unique battle royale. It's wrestling, pro wrestling, meets battle royale. It's uh, it's really fun. It was combo based though. It wasn't really grapple based. Um, there they had a grapple system and a in a strike system, but it was more melee based. Is what I'm getting at. The problem with that, in my eyes, is it's very difficult to populate a server for a battle royale. That's why they only had like 40 players per lobby. If you don't have cross-play, you're going to have problems filling up those lobbies or a cross-platform as well. You don't have free-to-play. It's going to be very difficult to get people to convince to try it out. Even $5, $10, Santi, is a lot for a lot of these gamers these days. And the last thing is I feel that Rumbleverse lost its identity because it made a mistake that a lot of Battle Royales make, Santi, is that it tries to balance it or change a lot of things in that period after the beta to, for launch and once it changes it completely lost its charm in my opinion so rumbleverse went from oh dude this is a wrestling pro wrestling battle royale to this is a combo heavy fighter battle royale and that's not what i was interested in i was interested in the unique flavor of wait a minute you're telling me that you have pro wrestling and battle royales together and then straight away from that as every update went on my question yeah. for you santa you talked about if there is something that is within your wheelhouse, you'd be interested. What if I told you AEW Fight Forever is going to have a battle royale in the stadium stampede? You're a new AEW fan. That has to get you excited. 
Oh, it 100% gets me excited. Um, and I don't think it's a it's a novel concept to get excited over, um, you know, your, a property, something that you like being used in a unique way. Right. I think it's a great, easy jumping off point to get into that unique system in this scenario being Battle Royales, um, because I don't necessarily have to be somebody that loves Battle Royales. I can just be somebody that likes AEW and mm -hmm. wrestling and that alone can be my jumping off point. It looks like a tremendous amount of fun. Yeah. I think it's gonna run into some problems that you actually mentioned. And I think this is such a vital problem with battle royales in general is just being able to fill lobbies because you, you need you need a really super engaged audience mm -hmm. in order to be constantly filling up lobbies. Something like a Tetris 99, you can deal with AI because you can just they can just turn the AI to hard mode as as you get into the deeper levels and it, you won't be able to tell the difference between AI and a human, but I know you can tell the difference between AI and a human in Fortnite for example because mm -hmm. I've seen plenty of streamers that will go, "Oh, that's just an AI" whenever like they're in a battle with with, with somebody. And I think that could be the same problem with battle royales that are super niche like this one that we're talking about the AEW stadium stampede or that wrestling one that you talked about or if any other smaller franchise tries to branch out into battle royales like you're suggesting it could ultimately lead to a situation where a year maybe even six months down the line you can't fill a lobby unless the majority of it is bots I that that is what's interesting and we definitely have to explore that topic is AI is is ai and gaming a problem and not in the sense of like creative i think as a gamer if everybody if every opponent is ai as a multiplayer player is that a problem i don't know that's definitely is something we may have uncovered but santi uh considering that today's episode will be a little bit on the short end let's go ahead let me tell you santi my top five games that need a battle royale my friends yes hit me strap in Number, we'll start at the bottom. Number five, Overcooked. We're talking about the hottest kitchens in the world. 99 kitchens, and who yes. can be the last one standing racking up those orders? Yes, Santi, now you're on board. Number four, Elden Ring. Let's make it happen. Let's get all the sweaty PvP. Let's get all the armor. You become the mega boss in a server. Number three, Twisted Metal. Bring the big dog back, the OG of Battle Royales. There's nothing like being Sweet Tooth and racking up everybody with those eliminations. Twisted Metal deserves 100 players in a map. Number two, which is a sleeper pick, which just recently came out, Remnant 2. If you haven't played Remnant, it's very atmospheric, very awesome. The gunplay alone, that deserves a Battle Royale. And Santi, do you want to know the number one game that deserves a Battle Royale? I mean, I'm already sold I'm already sold on Elden Ring. Yeah, sorry guys. My dog, Dwayne the Dog Johnson, is going crazy over here. He's getting hyped. Your dog. Yeah, he's getting hyped because he wants to know what number one is. Hit me. What is it? I'm already sold on Elden Ring. I'm already sold on Elden Ring and Overcooked. All right. Number one, folks. Halo Infinite. The one that deserved a battle royale from the very beginning and never got it. That's it. I don't need to say much about that. Dude, what a missed opportunity that was. The biggest it was, wonder. It was... A, a license that was on the decline in terms of popularity with just so much competition around it. It was a no brainer, right? To no do brainer. a battle Royale. Even if they were to do a battle Royale now or down the line, it's just not going to hit the same. It'll still bring people to the table. It'll bring me to the table a hundred percent, but that, that needed to be a day one that needed to be a day one feature in that game.
I'm telling you, man, multiplayers and battle royales, they'll keep your game going. As much as I love single player art, much as I love everybody enjoying the masterpieces of the single player, when's the last time you played Tears of the Kingdom is the question I have for the people that have already beaten it. Hmm? Hmm? That's Zelda Battle Royale. That's the cure. That's the cure. Dude, it could be amazing. All right. That is enough about Battle Royales. Santi, what is your topic, sir? Can developers stop announcing games years in advance? It is one of my biggest pet peeves. And on top of that, can places like EB Games and GameStop stop taking pre-orders from games that don't have a release date? I d can, can we please go back to the days where at E3, Bethesda's like, ha, ah, here's Fallout 3. By the way, I know this is the first time you're seeing Fallout 3. It comes out in two months. I want to go back to that. Because now Bethesda, they were the they were the champions of showing you a game, and hey, it comes out in two months. It comes out in three months. But now they are the biggest culprit of the opposite side of the coin. Here is the Elder Scroll Six. We have nothing uh, to say about it. Here's just a a, a random render, and uh, yeah, we don't know when it comes out, and it's been six five years since we announced it. Uh, here's Starfield. Same thing. At least that's coming out. Hey, here is Duke Nukem Forever. Here is the last guard. Guardian. Here is uh, uh, Cyberpunk was another one of these ones of, of uh, just getting announced way too early, showing us fake footage and trying to get us to pre-order something that doesn't exist. And it is a practice that I think started in the days of Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. I think the 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 original culprit that really oh, to this day still irks me, even though I like the game, is Killzone 2. Go back and watch the Killzone 2 trailer. You would think this is this is it, Halo. It's done. Halo, it's over. In the console war days of the forum trolls, everyone for three years, Killzone 2. Halo 3, you're done. It's over. And all we had was a fake-ass trailer, Sancho, that wasn't even real in-game footage. And then the game comes out, and it disappoints as much as I liked it. But the reason I'm trying to to, to fight this fight okay. is because we do have Starfield coming out. Yes. And I think it's going to be a fantastic game. But this game dealt with so much harsh, unnecessary criticism purely because of how early it was announced. And the same thing is gonna happen to the Elder Scrolls VI, a game that should be coming out with you unanimous universal praise is now going to have years and years of, of baggage on it. And once we get closer to release, people are gonna become, become critics as opposed to, critics without a real reason aside from, hey, we've just been waiting for so long. What's been going on with the development? Have we changed directors? Is there drama? Is there a, I know this is real, so I'm not, I don't want to make a joke about it, but a culture of crunch, right? All of these things that shouldn't be newsworthy and they're only newsworthy because you're putting yourself in a five-year news cycle to get destroyed by online forums, online uh, uh, news reporters like IGN, podcasters like us, when you can just announce the game and release it that same freaking year. I just wanna, you can see the vein popping in the side of my neck right now if you're a video, if you're a video it. watcher. I see it. it. It's crazy, man. I, I thank you for coming to my TED Talk, Sancho. When you hear this professional wrestling promo that it's I just- It's a good promo. Cut, 
Yeah, yeah. What comes to mind? Is there any game that you're like, dude, this is this is ridiculous? Because for me, that game is Metroid Prime 4. Oh, just yeah. to give you yeah, where, yeah, yeah, where yeah, yeah. I'm coming from with this. I think Metroid Prime 4 is is the poster child of why you don't do this. Because it is on like its second or third developer. This the game was announced years ago. It genuinely doesn't exist. There is nothing about this game aside from metroid 4 in its beautiful bold font and everyone lost their minds and yet here we are darn near a decade it feels and nothing i think i feel your pain you're not alone i think a lot of people there's a lot that you to unpack there uh, to answer your question though it would be I've, as i mentioned till i was blue in the face and all my socials is the last of us uh from naughty dog they announced that they will have a last of us faction standalone multiplayer when they first announced it they said um hey we understand that you're a fan of factions it will not be a part of last of us part two and which made everyone upset and then they later said we will have a standalone experience and then the spin the yarn that they started to spin santi was that it, it got so big our ambition is that we decided to do it a standalone and put the full brunt of the developers from behind us naughty dog people playstation to get behind it and then it you know we heard nothing and then it came out with the concept art we all got hype again it's gonna be set in san francisco we don't know if it's a battle royale if it's an extraction shooter and then they said um there was a report that it was delayed because the people at bungie who looked at it said it's not going to be a great games as a live service and they need to go back and look at it again I think that would probably be one of the biggest blunders from a very prestigious company like Naughty Dog. And I've been very critical about it, that they went about it the, the wrong way. Either you do two things, Santi. Either you say, hey, I'm sorry, but we're not going to do it. It's not in our projects. I know y'all love the game, but we're just not going to do it. Don't drag us along for this journey. Or two, you don't say anything. <laughs> you don't say anything until you're absolutely ready to roll. I think what you have a problem with and a lot of people seem to be fatigued with is marketing. You need to be in the marketing cycle. You need to have a story, five second teaser like Warzone 3 just had. People like us, people everywhere else could, could digest that content, make content and keep it in that cycle. But where it backfires is like you mentioned is for example, Cyberpunk. People were like, dude, this game's gonna be amazing. Look at it, it had you know Keanu Reeves come out during the conference, and that game was not ready for prime time. Completely buggy. I can't even think of a game that was released that was bug-free. It's extremely rare these days where you won't get a day one patch, and I think it's just a lot of people, I don't know, they just want to, you know, they, they want to stay relevant. So the, I think it's important to be relevant in this gaming space considering that there's so many contenders out there. And like you mentioned, uh, I think Nintendo is notorious from it because I think Nintendo tends to announce a project and then they realize they can't do it and they just don't say it. They don't cancel it. But I think it, it absorbs whatever they were tech that they were working on goes into another project. So you may have seen Metroid Prime 4, but it wasn't Metroid. It was something else. Um, I just hope that the thing that you, one thing that you said that cracks me up is GameStop, I think, is the is the worst out of all of them because they want to make <laughs> five bucks from you. And you're like, what? I don't even know what this game is. You don't even have cover art for it. It's just literally an empty game case with your Sharpie written on it that says it's going to come out. And you want $5 from me to pre-order. And I don't even know if I'm still going to live here in five years or two years when this comes out. And I have to come back to this location. But, uh, yeah, man, it's just... It's weird. It's one of those things as gaming, 
it's kind of like junk. I've I recently moved and I recently found that I just have junk that just stuck around and now it's part of my norm and it's sadly it's part of the norm now for gaming. Tanti is this we're gonna announce stuff three, four days, three, four years in advance. You're just gonna have to deal with it. I'm just curious what I'd lo I'd love to see their 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 ledgers, their books. I want to know where is the financial benefit of announcing this thing five years in advance? You, that you get to be in the conversation cycle for five years. Does that really translate to more sales when the game comes out? I'm genuinely curious because Nintendo doesn't tend to do that. Like Nintendo's like Mario Party comes out. It's already out if at the end of this direct like they're and, and and I want to say I'm over exaggerating, but they've done that before where yeah. <laughs> they're in the middle of a direct and the game is out now. So I'd be very, very curious why staying in the in the zeitgeist of the conversation for years, why that's necessary for many of these games, um, especially when the conversation tends to be turned negative at some point or another. When it when the conver if if the if the game is in the in the cycle in the conversation for a year usually for the most part it doesn't tend to tend turn negative but when we start looking at these bigger releases that got announced way too early inevitably the conversation turns negative and i'd love to know what the financial impact of announcing something a year in advance versus announcing something three four years in advance is i think a uh, part of it is a lot of the conferences are gone now so you don't feel the pressure of a lot of people having to announce something i think that's when you get in trouble the showcases the the state of directs the the state of plays from playstation i think that's where a lot of developers feel the pressure and that's where sony and xbox and nintendo say we have to say something and that why that's why e3 wasn't anything this year because they were like we don't have announcements for people to give we don't there's no room for you know another conference after the summer games uh fest and the game awards there's no room to make anything and i i just simply think there's just you, you know you rather say that you're working on something so that way you could hold on to it the things that i really do think about that have been announced and then just take a long time was breath of the wild going into tears of the kingdom we all knew tears of the kingdom was coming but nintendo took its time they didn't say anything they didn't say anything and eventually they hit with a trailer and then i feel they had probably like a one or two delays, but I think that was properly play, uh, paced. I, I think what you can't do is a logo reveal and then saying coming soon. I think that in itself should not be done because if the project never arrives, you're just gonna create a lot of jaded fans and you're gonna create a lot of fans where the hype is really at a 10 and then it dips down to like a six and then eventually that hype festers and turns into like, you're just straight up annoyed. You're gonna turn your fans against you but I, I I wouldn't say like I I wouldn't say that there's it's not as much as you, these days. I think people are getting a little bit better about it. I just feel that they don't want to make a mistake. But I I agree with you. Like why why announce something? Wait till it's fixed or like close to being done, and then throw it out there. But you gotta you know, I mean it's so complicated, dude. There's fiscal calendars. There's quarterly reports. There's budgets. There's like. We need to allocate this, so we need to announce that, so we can put budget towards this engine. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, did you feel after Hideo, and I keep bringing up Hideo Kojima because I feel like he is someone that has a lot of hype around him, and he could he could literally tweet something out that he's working on a game, and that in itself could be like, okay, dude, you're way too early on this. But 
I've do you remember when after Metal Gear Five came out and Konami and Kojima they split? He was on Twitter saying that he was looking around for an engine, and he yep. was going to all the different developers. And he was like, "I'm visiting this here PlayStation," and then he eventually fell on the Gorillas uh, Horizon Zero Dawn's engine. So, did that? Is that something that you enjoy more, like more of an organic hype train versus the traditional way of announcing a game? And you know what I mean, like something like Hideo's version of that. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting because I, I think at that point, at the very least, we're we're getting content out of it, which is like getting the the inner workings of what we consider to be a genius of the space. At, the, mm -hmm. at least a lot of people seem to consider him that. I am one of those people. Um, but that's just nowhere near to nowhere near as heinous to what we see with some other developers, which is like you said, just a name and that's it. Uh, meanwhile, you know, we have the Kojimas of the world who are at the very least showing showing us their thought process as they come up with their ideas. Mm -hmm. And and that is different. That's different because now we're getting excited over an idea that we are seeing develop and flourish versus trying to get excited over something that literally doesn't exist. Mm, and, and, and they're trying to trick us into something and trying to trick us into believing that it exists. At the very least, we know that the Kojima thing doesn't exist yet, but we're seeing the building blocks and we're seeing the growth of it and we're seeing updates coming directly from um, from the developer. You want to know who did the long cycle of, hey, I know we announced this super early, but uh, at the very least, we're going to give you stuff along the way. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember the cycle of Super Smash Brothers Brawl, the weekly Smash Dojo updates oh, every yeah. week. You got, here's a new character. Okay, sweet. Oh my God, it's Snake. And then the next week, here's a new item that we've been, that we've been put into the game. At the very least, we get to see the, the game grow, even if it takes two, three years. Meanwhile, something like Cyberpunk going cold and dark for years, Starfield, Kingdom Hearts 3. Then we also, uh, Beyond Good and Evil is a great example. Here's the game. What happened to the game? Oh, don't worry about it, right? Yeah. So... I like one far more than the other. Like if you're going to announce it far in advance, like give give me things to get excited along the way. Because ultimately what ends up happening if you don't do that is that you uh, the gamers start to generate unrealistic expectations, right? You mentioned that no game is perfect when it comes out anymore. But if a game was announced six, eight months ago and it comes out and there's some bugs, I'm a lot more forgiving than if a game was announced 10 years ago and mm. it comes out with a lot of bugs because I'm expecting this thing like, hey, you took years on it, right? Mm -hmm. There had to have been something when you announced it, there wasn't, but you made me believe that it was. So now I'm a lot less forgiving with your bugs. I'm a lot less forgiving with your lack of features. That's why we were all super ruthless on No Man's Sky, right? Yes. Eventually turned out to be a great game. But it wasn't ready. Had that game been announced a few months before it was, we would have been, okay, all right, this is a game that's going to grow and develop. But yes. because it took so long, we were all like, the hell is this? You took years. What did you do with all of this GoFundMe money that we gave you? What is going on? So stop it. Stop it. Stop. All right. Year and a half. Max. Okay. Max. There you go. You heard it from Santi, folks. Stop announcing your game so ahead. But hey, we didn't announce the Checkpoint Amigos that early. We announced it, and like a week later, we were out. There. Think about that. We were folks. there. All right. With no bugs. With no bugs. Kind of, sort of. 
we we plan a podcast around me moving across the state. But y'all, that is going to be a a shortened version of the Checkpoint Amigos. Normally we have more time here, but we're right up against it. We're trying to make our own personal deadline. That's what I like about it, Santi. When we say Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, we mean it. We're not going to miss one unless something drastically, drastically delays us. But we will we will keep you along the way. We will not be a developer. Santi, where can people find you, my friend? Oh, anything Mr. Santi's app, Santi's app. Just Google it. All oh, my stuff will come up. Google it. It will be on any WWE TikTok. You'll see Santi mm. WWE. It's not even his TikTok. <laughs> and he's just everywhere. He's just everywhere. Of course, you can find me on all things Sancho West. And we appreciate the love. And hey, comment down below and tell us what franchise should have a Battle Royale versus being so negative against Battle Royales. But as always, we are the pod for the gaming people. Adios.